kindness is not the norm in our society. You watch the news, it's never about kindness or rarely. It's the exception when it is. And so to be to learn how to have real relationships where people are just simply kind to each other. And it sounds kind of touchy-feely, but we've gotten away from intentional kindness. God drew us to himself not by his theology, not by his omniscience, not by everything else. It says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. So if I can have real conversations where I care about you and not try and impress them, but just make my first stab at them is caring and kindness. You know, how, what can I do today to make that person's life just a little bit better? my friends. Welcome to Word Made Digital. I'm your host, Joanna LaFleur. This is episode eight of 2023. Today on the podcast, we have a guest called Mike Bechtel. And actually it's Dr. Mike Bechtel because he is an expert at communication. And what I'm talking about is that communication that happens between people. Like how do we actually talk to people? And how do you join a conversation that's already happening without being rude? Or is it even rude to interrupt and you shouldn't do it at all? Or why do people seem to care that you know their name? And how do you do verbal martial arts? Like if you want to get out of an awkward situation or a conversation topic you do not want to be having. That's the kind of conversation we're having with Dr. Mike today. So thank you so much to Compassion Canada and to Scripture Untangled, the podcast from the Canadian Bible Society. These are amazing sponsors who are making this whole season possible. We'll tell you a little bit more about them later. And hey, if you are listening to this, uh, Thanks so much. Would love your subscribe, your rate, your review, your feedback on how you're liking the content so we can keep making it better. But also just, it's so encouraging to hear from you. We love to hear from you. And then on the YouTube side, if you're not watching this video, do you know we have a YouTube channel? We've got all kinds of content there for you, tutorials and content and the back catalog of podcasts. If there's somebody that you're reading the book of or excited about in the Christian world, we very likely have interviewed them at some point. We'd love for you to get that content. So enough about that. Let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Mike Bechtel. So he's an expert at communications and he's worked to help others communicate better for over 30 years. He's a best-selling author. He has a ton of books. He's sold about half a million copies and he spent 30 years with Franklin Covey as a consultant. So he's taught over 3,000 seminars around these issues. And he has articles that are in Writer's Digest, Focus on the Family, Entrepreneur Magazine. He's a speaker from California and he travels all around talking about communication. So you're going to love this conversation. It's going to be very warm with an expert. Let's dive in with Dr. Mike Bechtel. Dr. Mike Bechtel, welcome to Word Made Digital. I'm really glad to have you on the podcast today. Well, thank you. It's a privilege to be with you. So, um, Can you introduce yourself to us? What is the context that we find you in? I know why I want to talk to you about communication, but tell us a little <laughs> bit about that from your end. Well, I think my, my background has mostly been in corporate work. I was in ministry for a number of years. My undergrad degree was in, in Bible and music. My doctorate is in higher adult, higher and adult education. But I've been in corporate training. I worked for a company called Franklin Covey for about the last 34 years. And mostly so I was doing seminars that whole time. And as an introvert, that's an interesting thing to be in a classroom eight hours a day over 3,000 times. And so now, and that's when I started writing was probably about um, 15 years ago or so. And I just, because what I learned, I was, I grew up as an introvert and um, I wasn't shy. It's just about energy and how conversations work. And I mm -hmm. thought, I really want to learn the details of how you communicate with other people, what conversation looks like. And I realized that a lot of people struggle with the same thing. And so I kind of went on a journey mm -hmm. and started writing about it and blogging about it and doing some things. And that has expanded to where I am now. And so uh, I'm done with the corporate side of things, but mostly just speaking and writing about communication and how we connect with other people is humans. So. And uh, suffering, I just found out before we hit record, suffering in Southern California <laughs> in the it's sunshine. Rough, you know. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, it's a it's a dirty job, but you know. You know, Mike, you you said right off is interesting because this is one of my first questions for you. It intrigued me. Thirty four years as a senior consultant for Franklin Covey, you're you're speaking to thousands of teams, people who are on teams, companies, executives, leaders. I'd love to know, maybe this was the inspiration for your for your writing and where it began. What are some of these common threats, 34 years, and, some, and there's got to be something similar about all of us as humans. What are some of these common threads that you, you have seen through all these years and all these different teams? What are, what are our problems? Diagnose us. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think um, they're pretty simple. And it's that we want people to like us. We're concerned with how we're coming across. And I think all of us do that. We position ourselves in the best way. Even when we're interviewing for a job or we're writing a resume or doing a LinkedIn profile, they all sound pretty good. I don't talk about, I don't get references from my parole officer or talk about the everything that's gone wrong in, in my life. It's like you talk about the successes and you make yourself really look good. And to some degree, even though we're in a corporate setting, or any kind of a setting, we still kind of put our best selves out there. And that's not a bad thing, but sometimes we do that to the exclusion of the reality of who we are. And I think the more we can relax into be, learning to be okay with who we are and not pretending to be something different or better, um, you see it on social media a lot, that everybody's positioning themselves and I, look at social media, see what other people are doing. I compare and then I want to just shut it down and go eat cookies because it's, <laughs> there's something to be said about how comparison impacts us. And so I think that's, it, it really boils down mostly to that, to the conversations that we have, the way we, we want to be seen, the way we want to be liked. We're, there's always, not always, but there's a lot of times in a business setting, kind of an agenda that I want to be seen as a team player. I want to be supportive. So I'll say things that may not be entirely accurate. I don't, I wouldn't say it's flattery, but, but I see people complimenting each other on things that I am thinking they really don't feel that way. And, but they feel like they have to. So it's, then we come home and we unwind and just, we just relax. <laughs> and it's like, is there a way to take who we are at home and be real people and be comfortable enough that we can go be with other real people and be comfortable with them. So I think it all centers, everything I've seen centers around that idea of, of how we compare, how we position ourselves and how we can still be real and be ourselves in just a normal conversation and enjoy other people for who they are. Hmm. Well, it's interesting, Mike, what you're saying about uh, the uh, you're stri you're you're striking me on the compliments or the the kind things we say to one another, sort of these social things we do, and I'm sure each culture has its own nuance to that. But what do do you mean that people are lying or they're they're trying to win people over by s exaggerating? Or how would you characterize that? What you're saying that we're saying all these nice things, but we don't necessarily mean them or we don't believe them. I, I, tell tell me more about that. Well. Is it lying? Well, I guess lying is anytime you're saying something that's not true. I don't know that most people do it intentionally. I don't think I'd go so far to say as lying. It probably is, but I don't want to say that. But it's, I think it's, uh, it's recognizing that we get into a pattern of how we communicate. And it has become so much a part of just business and how we relate to other people. And, um, you know, when you think and, and you think about how we talk to other people, you think about how you talk to your neighbors. You talk about how we talk to our friends, how we talk to ourselves. And you mm. think it gets a little challenging because sometimes we're not very nice to us. Yeah. We probably lie to ourselves. We we believe all the thoughts that come into our head about us. And when we compare, we feel less than. And I think it was John Acuff that used to say, which I know you've had him on your uh, program before that he um, he said you know if you're um, if you talk to yourself the way you talk or if you talk to your friends the way you talk to yourself would they still be your friends would you still mm -hmm. be your friend we talk to ourselves in a harsher way than we do anybody else so I think 
It's a matter of stopping and recognizing those thoughts that come through. When I'm talking to other people, am I flattering them? I don't think about it at the moment, maybe, but it's like, am I trying to, is there a reason? Why am I positioning myself the way that I do? And then coming home exhausted, as you said, you know, if you were, if you were trying to position yourself, then as you said, Mike, you come home on the other end and you just, ah, you kind of can, you maybe some people you're feeling like you can take the mask off or whatever it is and, and be your yeah. normal grumpy self. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, well, and I, I think it does. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of energy to pretend to be something we're not, even if we don't think we're doing it, but just being on in any kind of an environment when we're done, it's like, which if we're not careful can impact the people we care about the most. We come home and they get the worst end of things. And I said, I remember one time hearing a psychologist say that he was talking to people all day and he was, you know, he was just exhausted, but he had, I think he had an 11 year old daughter and a, and a nine year old daughter. And he would come home, stop in the driveway every night. And before he would, turn off the car and come in. He would sit there for a minute and say, okay, I'm just about to go do the most important work of my day. Hmm. And just to catch that mindset, it's like, okay, I can't, yes, I can let down from trying to pretend, but I can go in there right now to invest in my family. And that's, that's more important than anything I did all day long. So just, I think catching ourselves, recognizing that, uh, where it fits in all those different situations. Yeah, well, and I think we all feel it, don't we? I don't know the psychology of this, but there's those people we come away from and they felt like, to say it this way, you know, the stereotype of a used car salesman. They're, they felt a little slimy or too slick. Uh, they didn't feel quite believable. So maybe they were complimenting you, but then some people, they go too far. <laughs> uh, yeah. You don't believe them anymore. <laughs> Um, well, I think, and your analogy is a good one, and you don't want to pick on used car salesmen because no, one of my I best mean, friends is Sorry one. to all the, yeah, but, my uncle sells used cars, <laughs> and he was voted the most honest used car salesman in our city, actually, so there are some good ones out and there. And everybody's going, well, that's an oxymoron, right? Yeah. <laughs> but but I think it's it's true because it's a stereotype we understand, and, and we went looking for a car a couple years ago, and I remember the, the guy was my best friend. He, he, he was coming across as though nothing mattered more than me. And mm-hmm. we ended up not buying the car from him. And because he, I caught him in a couple of lies that he made up. I oh, thought, okay, wow. I, I don't trust him. But then as soon as he knew we weren't buying the car, um, we didn't even have a reason for a conversation. He shut me down and kind of walked off. And I thought it just felt uh, it felt like you said, it's like it was, it wasn't real, but it was very much pretense and, and we can pick that up where people are smart. They just sense when you're flattering them instead of being honest. And there's lots yeah. of ways to compliment people on who they are, on, you know, the, the character they have, the things that we can notice without having to go beyond that and, and kind of stretch the truth a little bit. Right. And then oppositely to that in your writing, one of the things I'm, you know, I'd love to get into some of the things you've written about and and sort of your expertise as a communications trainer. One of the things that I think is a conversation we have to have more today is this idea of empathy. Um, And so you talk about empathy as a foundation for good communications. What do empathy and good communications have to do with each other? Well, empathy is different than sympathy. Usually we say, well, you know, you don't want to have, I don't want your sympathy. Say, like, no, but I do want your empathy. Empathy means I'm thinking about you instead of just me. Because typically, I think in a typical, in an average conversation, we're all thinking about ourselves, how we're coming across, maybe not consciously as much as subconsciously, but empathy means I'm not trying to impress you. I'm not trying to position myself. It's like I'm setting that aside because I want to focus on you. I really care about what's important to you. I can ask questions. I can explore. And I'm not doing it as a manipulative thing. It just means approaching every conversation with the idea of, you know, this person has the same struggles that I do. They're human. I think it was uh, 
I remember, I think it was actually John Kennedy, President Kennedy one time was the one that said every president puts on his pants one leg at a time. It's like, that's what everybody does. We're human. We're real. And to recognize that humanity and just that's where conversation can get fun. We feel like mm -hmm. I'm not going to know what to say. I won't have enough things to talk about. But to be able to go into a conversation exploring and say, I want to find out what's important to this person, who they are. I'm not going to dig into a lot of the, you know, I'm not having a therapy session with them. I'm just trying to find out what they care about and what's interesting yeah. to them. Look for that common ground that, that pulls us together. Hey, you talk about this idea of look at others through their filters. So what would be like an example of that? Like what would a filter be? Uh, that someone else you're talking to might have that isn't Mike? <laughs> well, I think when my when my son was probably about eight years old, we went to a, went into a sporting goods store and we tried on ski goggles and they were different colors. And he he tried on one. It had blue lenses and I had tried on one. It had red lenses and there was a, a jacket hanging on a rack across the room. And I said, Tim, what color is that jacket? He said, well, it's blue. I said, no, it's red. And he looked at me like I'd lost my mind. He said, it is not, it's blue. I said, no, it's red. And we went back and forth and he was trying to convince me that it was blue because he was seeing blue. He actually saw a blue jacket. I was trying to convince him it was red because I was actually seeing red. And I'm thinking, what's wrong with you? It's so obvious because I'm seeing this color and you're saying it's something different. We took off our goggles, the jacket was white. And so our perspectives, those lenses wow. colored what we saw. We believed that it was true. And if I believe I'm right, do I really want your opinion? It's like, no, I'm trying to figure out why can't you see this? It's so obvious and they're doing the same thing. So that happens in so many different things. If I believe that I'm right about something, then, um, the only option is either you're wrong or there's some kind of a mix-up someplace. I, I think of it like if, if you had a house and you're looking at a house and the front has been maintained perfectly. It's got the hedges, it's painted, it's just gorgeous. And I'm standing in the front looking at that. You're in the back of the house where nobody's mowed the lawn for years. There's weeds, the paint is peeling off. It's totally in disrepair. The porch is hanging down. And so I'm thinking this is the best house ever. And I'm yelling over the roof saying, I've never seen a house like this. This is perfect. And you're back there saying, this is just trash. I can't believe how bad it is. And how can you say it's good? And, and we're going back and forth. And that's what a lot of people do. We just, especially in social media, you see that. It's one position. The other position stronger and stronger where real communication happens when I walk around to the back of the house and I stand next to you. And the mm. filters are gone. I'm looking through what you, I'm seeing what you see. So I'm looking through your perspective, your filter. And we talk about it. And then you come around to the front of the house with me. And we talk about it. We, you're looking through my filter. And so it's usually it's like, is it right? Are you right? Am I right? Are we wrong? But there's always more two perspectives. But if I can, that's what empathy is. If I can come into your world and just look through your lenses, not with the idea of convincing you of anything, not trying to change your mind, just trying to understand where you're coming from, that builds trust. And when you yeah. build trust, that's where relationships really get going. Well, and, and when you talk about trust, there's maybe an inherent thing behind that that is about empathy and trust. There's a... Um a vulnerability or a risk involved on a person to have a real conversation, a real relationship, a real connection. You have to be your real self and that self might be, dis as you said, we want to be liked. So what if they don't like me? What if I'm criticized? But one of the the pieces that you have here is this, I, this concept, make the first move, which I think is a courageous thing to do uh, for some people. Uh, it maybe doesn't come naturally to everyone to do that. Talk to us more about this idea in communicating with someone, what does it look like to make the first move or why should we do that? Well, I think we all have our insecurities about things and how people perceive us and what they're, what they're noticing when they look at us, when they come to it was, I have to recognize that I think I'm right. I'm in the front of the house. You think you're right. And 
it's real easy for us to just keep going like that and assume there's we're never going to have a relationship. There's there's a barrier there. But making the first move says, okay, let me come around to the back of the house. Because what that says is, I believe that I'm right. I'm looking through that that red lens. But I could there you might have something that I don't know about, a different perspective. And if I walk around, if I make the first move and come over there, I have just taken the move to initiate that kind of trust, that kind of conversation. I remember when I was in high school, an accident happened at an intersection right at the corner of the high school. And of course, we're high schoolers. We're all out there watching to see what happened. It was a pretty bad accident, but nobody got hurt. But then, but as we were standing there, I noticed this older woman walking down the street. And she was actually, I think, in a bathrobe. And she had mm-hmm. come down the street. I think she heard the noise. And she came over and she went over to the policeman. And she was yelling at the policeman saying, I saw the whole thing happen. And this is what I saw. And I thought, how can she say that? She's lying. I, we're right here. We see what's happened. It's obvious from looking at this, what happened. But then I walked across the street and kind of crossed over and I stood where she stood. Now, I don't know if she saw the accident or not, but from that corner, it looked totally different. And what she mm. said made sense. And I thought, okay, I didn't have the whole picture. I saw it from one side and I made my observations and my beliefs based on what I actually saw. Whereas she was on the other side and where the police were, they were seeing a totally different side. That made sense. So to go with them, making the first move says I could be in an impasse forever. But if I want to build a relationship or build some trust or start something, it's actually simpler if I just make that first move, because otherwise I'm defending my position. I'm doing all that. Just go talk to them, see what's going on. And even in a, in a group setting, if I go to a, some kind of a social event and you walk in, you feel like, OK, who am I going to talk to? You know, what are they going to think of me and everything else? But it's like if I go first and just approach somebody, especially somebody who's not talking to anybody, because they're probably doing the same thing. We're all terrified of who should we talk to and what are they going to think? But if I make the first move, I just made it easier for them, number one. And number two, I get to pick who I talk to. Pause from the conversation with Dr. Mike to talk to you about the Canadian Bible Society's podcast. Because does the Bible ever feel overwhelming or confusing, maybe even hard to believe? The latest season of Scripture Untangled, which is a new podcast by the Canadian Bible Society, will bring you interviews with culture leaders, leaders in ministry, and Bible thinkers to inspire you to dive into the Bible and understand it. You can listen for free and subscribe on whatever podcast app or platform you're listening to this podcast on, or you can visit scriptureuntangled.ca for more info, scriptureuntangled.ca. Okay, back to the conversation with Dr. Mike. Right. That struck me from what you, what in, when I read your work, uh, this idea, mm-hmm. when you make the move, you actually have some level of control, the fear of being, oh no, what's going to happen? Well, you could decide who to talk to. Now you're not stuck with well, someone yeah. you didn't want to talk to. <laughs> you want well, to talk it's, to. It's really, it's really simpler than it sounds because it feels like it takes so much courage and I, you know, what are they going to think? And I need to do this, but it, it, it changes everything because the moment you do it, yeah, you have to step over there and begin the conversation and just to have some very simple common grounds kind of things to talk about that just to start it. And then once we do that, we got the momentum going. It's like pushing a car. The hardest part's getting it moving, but then you just keep going. But to go over there and do it, it I've noticed that whenever I do that, it changes my sense of confidence in the entire event. Mm. It's like, yeah. yeah because you use the word control. I'm not in control of the event, but it's like, no, I'm in control of the conversations I have, who I talk to, and it frees other people up. Especially if I do that, if I'm, if I go over and talk to you and meet you and we begin talking about some things we have in common or whatever, then I can talk to somebody else a little bit later, do the same thing. And then I will bring them over and introduce them to you. So now I just made the two of you uh, I, I broke the ice for you. So I become a matchmaker. I become a, a host at the party to just get things happening. It's it's kind of a sense of informal control, but it's not manipulative. It's just make it easier for everybody You're in the else. driver's seat, just, though. Yeah. You, 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You go first yeah. and it, and that helps other people with what they need. Yeah. I mean, in the sense that when I, maybe that analogy that I'm imagining as you're describing it, it's not that we wouldn't say, well, the person driving the car is so controlling. No, they're driving us where we're going. <laughs> By nature, there has oh, to I be a driver. Uh, they're not That's controlling perfect. the I car. <laughs> well, I mean, they are quite literally controlling the car, but we don't view it as a negative sense of control. It's, it's a steering. Well, yeah, and, and, and it helps them get where they want to go. That's it. Um, and another thing you talk about here, which is interesting, is you talk about um, the strategy for entering a room. It can feel overwhelming, even if you're an extrovert. And I think maybe I would say post-COVID, a lot of us feel a little more introverted, a little bit. Um, certainly in the Canadian context, things were shut down longer than some other places in the world, like in the, in some places in the U.S., partly because of climate. Uh, we couldn't meet outside, so they had more rules about it in the cold climates. And um but you have this thing about it's easier to join a conversation with a group who's already talking than start one with just one person. So you walk into a room, there's there's groups chat. I mean, we can all picture it. It's a work meeting. It's a church event. It's a, a party. We walk into the room and there's people talking. And you would say, maybe go find a group to join. How, how do you do that? That sounds like uh, what are some do's and don'ts of joining a group conversation? Because that can go really well. And we all know when for us or for others, it's gone really poorly. Oh, yeah. No, that's it requires a lot of sensitivity because you can't barge into a group. The tendency I think most of us have is, okay, if I'm going to join that group and if I am an extrovert, then I may be a little more comfortable just walking up and kind of barging in. But we've had, haven't you had that happen where you're having a deep conversation with somebody and another person walks up and starts talking? It's like, okay, we were in the middle of it and you're taking it somewhere else. Or, and I've done it. You feel horrible. You didn't realize you're coming up and and they were all of a sudden someone is having a serious conversation. You're interrupting. You didn't intend to, you feel terrible, but now you're in it. What do you do? Yeah. (laughs) So how do we not do that, Mike? That goes back to the empathy we were talking about is I want to be sensitive to really what's happening, which means they're already together. Now, they may be a close knit group of friends that are talking and you're not part of that group. It probably shouldn't be. Um, You can usually tell because they stand closer together. If they're a little more casual group, that's just meaning they tend to be a little more space. But what I'll do is I'll go over and grab uh, some punch or whatever, grab some, some kind of a, you know, coffee or something, and then come over and just hover around, kind of wander around the edge of the group. And they probably won't notice because they're talking to each other, but I'll just listen to what they're talking about. And if it sounds like there's something I have some connection to that maybe Mm -hmm. I could contribute or I have questions or it just sounds interesting, I'll kind of pick an open spot and still stand behind and just kind of listen. Somebody will notice that you're there. They may open up or um, if if it feels safe after a couple minutes, I could just make comment, a comment, something like, excuse me, I, I don't mean to barge in, but I, I heard you talking about such and such. And that's just fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'll ask a question. I won't tell them my experience. I won't come in and say, hey, I did this and I've had mm-hmm. experience with that. I just say that was it was just fascinating what I heard can I just ask you one question about what you said and just draw them out a little bit? Oh, that's interesting. Come with a question, not your own mm-hmm. perspective. That's how you, that's how you interrupt with a because it makes it about them rather than yourself. And I think that's what most of us do. The tendency is to say, if I'm going to be a good conversationalist, I have lots, have to have lots of things to talk about. So I'm interesting. And it's usually the opposite that's true is that I don't have to come with a lot of stuff. It's good to have a few icebreaker questions for when you first walk up to somebody, but in a group like that, to um, always listen to the other people first. Listening builds trust more than anything. People are starved to be listening to because we're all kind of jockeying for position. But if I can not talk about me, but just ask a question about what you said, explore it. Now we've got some things going on, there may be a place where, okay, now it's time I can add something of my own, but never start there. Cause you've got a room full of people that are talking about themselves because they think they're supposed to. You'll stand out if you're the one that asks questions and just listens. I mean, really deeply listens. How do you, how do people know you're listening? 
because they say something and you respond to it and then ask a question about it. And then they respond to that question. And then you say, well, tell me more. Mm -hmm. And you ask just two or three simple questions to explore. Because, you know, we've all had those conversations where we don't do any talking. The other person talks nonstop. We don't say anything. Then they go away and tell somebody else what a great conversationalist you were because you listened. <laughs> That's it, And right? so they felt the connection. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and Mike, I, as you and I were emailing before today, uh, I was describing, I've just come out of it and I, I was telling some of my, my friends, I mean, I'll make, I'll be honest. It was just a bad first date. I'll be direct with you. <laughs> and this guy, I would say, didn't ask me more than one question in the one and a half hours we were together about myself. Uh, and I would leave space, you know, give some awkward silence. It became so awkward almost just giving him a chance to maybe think of something to ask. And he didn't know how to do it. It was clear. It wasn't that he was a selfish. I don't think he was a selfish, arrogant person. I think he didn't have the skill. And so I had to lead the conversation. I, I learned in an hour and a half so many things about this person. And I would say at the end of it, he knew almost nothing about anything in my life. Uh, he probably wouldn't yeah. even known some of the most basic, impersonal things about me. Uh, you know, not intimate questions, just basic stuff. He didn't know anything about me because uh, he didn't know how to ask. Um even even a back and forth. Where are you from? Oh, where are you from? <laughs> like, how do, how do we help people? I'm thinking of my own life, not just my day. I'm not trying to get you to help me with my dating life, Mike, but, uh, you know, just, uh, <laughs> uh, just, you know, in general, we all have had these experiences where either we're the person who doesn't know what to say, or we're with someone who doesn't know what to say. How do, how do we, how do we help that person? How do we draw them out? I don't know that we need to. Mm. My first thought is that there are some people that just are a little, I don't want to use the word narcissistic, but it, it's possible. But I don't think it's as often. It could be somebody who is just nervous and they aren't, they feel like I have to talk more about myself and keep the conversation going, but they haven't, for whatever reason, they haven't learned. They haven't uh, gotten the tools, the ability to do that. And I think about it like playing tennis, that my job is to serve across the net to you. And then what you do with it is up to you. I can't control whether you hit it back, um, how you hit it back. I can't run around the net and serve it back for you. It's not my, right. no. my job. In that case, it's to observe what's happening and recognize, okay, this this is not, I don't need to fix this. This is just who the person is. And I'll do my best to have a good conversation with them. I'll try to, like you did, you empathized, you asked questions, you explored. And now that that's done, it's like, he is who he is. And yes. you are we who you are. We won't be doing that again. <laughs> yeah. And, and, that, and that's the response. That's the way it, it's yeah. like, it's not my job to fix everybody. It's to um, care about people as they are, accept people mm -hmm. for who they are with the mm -hmm. good and the bad. And then I make choices. What am I going to do with this? So how do you draw them out? I think you did everything you could. You left the space to ask the questions you can and just see if he is interested in asking things about you. And if, if he's not, it's like, it's, that's who he is for whatever sure, reason. Sure. I don't need to psychoanalyze him. It's just like, <laughs> I don't have, yeah. to, I don't, I don't have to fix this. Yeah. Well, and that's interesting. You're right. I guess in this context, particularly, I had no interest in fixing. I just had interest in leaving as soon as possible. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> in, in other cases, you know, there are, you know, because I know you write to help people with their communication. And so not that you're trying to fix people either, but um, sometimes, sometimes I, uh, uh, you leave a conversation, you know, forget the romantic side of it, just at a party, uh, you go around socializing with people. Um, and, and again, you can leave a party after a couple hours at a birthday or whatever and say like, you know what, in the whole room, it feels like no one really asked 
any questions I had to, as the extrovert, you know, I had to ask the questions. And, and do you think Mike, that this is, maybe I'll say it this way. Is this a new thing? Is it worse than it does? It feels like, is it the digital world that's ruined us as conversationalists? Have we lost the art of conversation? Has this always been true? Uh, and some of us are just better than others uh, at doing it. I'd love your insight because of course you for 34 years have, have led and trained people in the work of communication. Uh, what, what is your perspective on that? You know, I think, I, I think the, um, the digital world has changed us. And that's the name of your podcast. Um, mm -hmm. when you think about how things have changed digitally, has it changed our ability to communicate? I think it, is it worse? Is it better? I think in a lot of ways it's worse, but it's not because we can't communicate well, but it has caused us to look at other people and compare because mm. uh, like we talked about at the beginning, social media, uh, Instagram is visual. And so you see everybody else's life and it's like they have such a perfect life or what they're doing or the way they're doing it. And I feel like I just can't compete. There's so many people that are better than me. And when you have real conversations with them, you don't see that as much. It's, I have a friend who's a major building contractor and does like airports and, and high rise buildings. And he said that he will get emails from people, the other contractors that are just furious and just angry and whatever. And he says, whenever he gets one of those, he immediately just picks up, he doesn't respond. He picks up the phone and calls them. He mm -hmm. said, they are never as strong in person uh, on the, either in on the phone or if he goes and has lunch with them, he said, they're never as strong as they are in an email because it gives you a little bit anonymous. I can say some harsh things to you um, in an email or on social media that I wouldn't say if we were in person, because it would just be really awkward or rude. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of it, it's like, is social media bad? No, I, I love social media. It's a way to connect and to do other things. But um, if it replaces our face-to-face -face conversations, that's probably where it has started to dial down. Because in a face-to-face -face conversation, you have eye contact, you have body language, you have all the things that happen in a real conversation. And there's something about being in someone's presence, kind of their their aura or whatever you would call it, but to be with them changes how we communicate. It's a whole lot easier to have real communication in person. Um, when COVID came along and suddenly I was on Zoom calls for maybe six, seven hours a day, talking to people and, and doing things, it's like, yeah, we can, we can do this, but I would love to be sitting in your studio right now having a conversation. Yeah. It just, it's different when that happens. So I, I don't know if it's gotten worse, but I think it has impacted us when we see the two dimensional digital communication or even one dimensional digital communication as, as saying it's as good as face to face. Mm -hmm. We've got to get, we need to get back somehow into being able to have those real conversations. So that, that's where I would go with it now. Yeah. And Mike, you talk about treating digital conversations with the same care as in-person conversations. Um, what would be an example of that? How could we have more care or thoughtfulness in those digital spaces? To realize that these are real people and that the conversations, one good way to do it is look over the last few emails you've written and look at the last few social media posts you put up or how you've responded and read it and say, would I read it out loud and say, how does that feel to say out loud? Would I have said it that way if we were standing together? Because that'll help us see, is there, is there a, a, a mismatch here? Is there something that I'm doing or saying that's getting in the way of this kind of communication? So one of the simplest things I think is we're trying to communicate. They always say, write the way you speak. It's like, well, maybe, but I think there's some <laughs> real value to looking carefully at our words and say, how am I communicating? Is it different? Talk to someone, you know, 
uh, not necessarily your best friend, somebody who's maybe work with, or you're, it's a little more neutral, and ask them, just say, honestly, I'm trying to really evaluate how I communicate. Could you look at that last email that I sent you? Could you look at this? Or when I'm in a meeting or in any situation, could you just give me some feedback, some honest yeah. feedback uh, on how I come across? Is it different than I come across in person? Is there anything that is getting in the way that I'm not seeing because it's a blind spot? Somebody who cares about you enough that they'll let you know, but uh, yeah. not to say, can I get better? Just give them something specific. You know, when I am in this setting, how do you perceive that? Yeah, that's right. I think of sort of these jokes going around on the on social media about um, you write the email and then you go back and you add an exclamation mark, you take one away, you put it as a period. That needs to be a serious sentence. No, I need to show them that I'm fun, so let's add an exclamation mark. Oh, got to end with a smiley face, you know, whatever it may be. It's like you write it and then you're like, oh, how will it be read? How will it be perceived? And you go back and and sort of the joke is, of course, or like it's all in caps lock. It sounds like you're yelling at them. There's these things that we can do to kind of go back and say, oh, I see that might sound like I'm angry and I'm not. How do I make that sound better? <laughs> well, well, I think there's something to be said for it, especially for introverts. Introverts love to write. I mean, they they don't like talking on the phone, but they love hmm. putting things in writing. And the reason is that I can review it and make sure it comes across the way I want it to. But I need to make sure that it's, it needs to sound like me. I want somebody to be able to read my email and before they saw who it's from, they know it's me because it sounds, mm. it has my voice to it. And if my writing comes across different than who I, I might can still be professional and business and everything else, but still it has my voice. How do I talk in business? Well, it shouldn't be that different. That voice needs to be in how I write. So I like going back and I'm not looking for the emojis and things like that, but I have learned to always, always, always read an email one more time before I send it. Because you never know when you misspelled something and came out with an obscenity instead of something you wanted or because it, you just spelled it wrong and or let, came across in a way you thought, I even forgot to say this. And so... I just I just want to review before I send it so that it's accurate. But yeah, yeah you can, we can get into trying to doctor it up and add all these things just to make sure it's perfect. A pause in the conversation with Dr. Mike, because what we're talking about is a transformation in our mind, our thinking and our approach to how we communicate. That is that there are things we can learn to do better in this area. But sometimes transformation can feel like a buzzword. And what does transformation in any aspect of life even look like? Well, one of the places that I think it's so evident is in the stories of the former Compassion sponsored children. That's the graduates or alumni of the Compassion program who are now adults and they're telling their story of how sponsorship impacted them. Like Rhea is a girl, a woman that I know, and she was a girl in the sponsor program and is now an adult woman who sponsors a kid back in the village where she was sponsored and she talks about this like knowing someone who's never met you that they care for you in your situation it changes you and Rhea's story is a powerful highlight at, about how being sponsored built Christ-like confidence in her and empowered her to take hold of a future that's free from poverty ending cycles of poverty that's the kind of transformation child sponsorship does so you can find out more about Rhea and others like her other alumni stories if you go to compassion.ca slash if only compassion.ca slash if only and the link will be down in the show notes well one of one of the things you talk about too i like this phrase uh you say practice verbal martial arts when you're trying to steer an uncomfortable conversation so i guess i this is more in context of in person maybe it's over email i guess it could be but how uh, talk to us a little bit about that this what is verbal martial arts because we all have tough conversations we have to have or we want to get out of what do we do <laughs> I remember when I was a kid, I used to um, see the ads for it. Back in those days, it was only, they had judo. It wasn't all the martial arts. It was just jujitsu. And in the back of comics books, you could send in 
10 cents and they would send you a thing on how to learn judo so that you could not get sand kicked in your face at the beach. You could be the tough guy that does all this. Well, the whole idea behind judo, I mean, I'm not an expert by any means, but the whole idea is you don't have to be strong. You can be the 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 98 pound weakling as they used to call them um, because someone comes running at you. You're not going to be able to meet them with that force, but they're providing the momentum. What you do is simply grab them in a certain way. So you direct them and they, you toss them over your head. They did all the work. All you did was steer. And so in the same way with the conversation, if somebody comes off really strong or, yeah, you know, we're in, it's starting to move into an argument or whatever. I don't have to have strong arguments to come back. If I don't know what to say, I will take what they said and simply direct that conversation. And it could be something as simple as, okay, or I'll just say, ouch, are, are you sure you wanted to, to say that in the way that huh. you did? Or I'll say, well, that was uncomfortable. Um, did you, you mean, just name it? Yeah. It, Interesting. Because when I do that, then it puts them in a position of it, it diffuses it. Because if if they come out strong with me, then the tendency, if somebody's going to punch me, the tendency is either defend myself or punch back. In this case, I don't want to punch back because I know I'm going to lose. Um, they That's why verbal confrontation, somebody's usually better than the other one. But if I can just, it, it brings it back down to reality. It takes out the, the emotion of it. And because if I keep angry and you're giving me quiet, crafted responses, it's going to be kind of awkward for me to stay angry and keep yelling when when it's not upsetting you. And so I just mm. come back to something as simple as just, like you said, naming it or, um, or the how it's coming across. Or I can even say, okay, you said, you said this, which sounded like you're saying this, did you really mean that? Or is it more like this? And just explore to gives you a chance to bring the conversation down. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and maybe back to what we were talking about earlier about when it feels like you're in a conversation with someone and I don't want to leave parties feeling like all the time, like, wow, I don't think those people asked me any, they don't know anything about what's going on in my life because they never asked. Um, you know, is that, that sort of martial arts, it's almost like, I, I never really do it, but it, it's almost like you're, you're in, not in a conflict way, but to say like, is there anything you'd like to ask me? <laughs> I don't know how, I don't know what their way is to say that, but sort of prompting them to, Hey, please pass the tennis ball back. I'm doing all the work here. <laughs> um, you know, trying to, trying to, trying to play the game. Like, Hey, do you want to play with me? Or is this just a one way, it's just a one way thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you may decide it's not, you're not going to be able to play, but to be able to, if somebody's going back and forth and they're doing that, I could respond by injecting something, you know, what you just said about whatever it is, um, you know, I had an experience a couple of years ago doing exactly that. And, mm -hmm. you know, I got a very interesting response on it. Have you ever had interesting responses. You just set them up to say, well, what was the thing that happened? Cause you gave, you uh, didn't like spark their just burst in and tell them yeah. all about you. You gave them a little tidbit. You gave them a sample and now you can see, are they going to pick up on it? Chances mm -hmm. are they will, but they might not. And that's when you Maybe. make some decisions, but, but a little yeah, bit, they often you, so, so you give, <laughs> uh, you're, you're waiting for them to ask you. But in this case, you give them just a little taste of something you've done to see if they will explore it and do that several times. Just put it out there without a lot of detail so that they have yeah. to ask if they want more detail on it. So. Oh, another thing that you're talking about here that I think of as like a key to the way we connect, serve is about people's names. You say people's names are important to them, um, but often we forget uh, names or they, you, how, you, how do you reintroduce, you know, you talk about coming into a group and thinking they might not remember my name. How can I say my name again? Or how do I remember, how do I ask their name if I've forgotten it? Talk to us a little bit about using names, asking for names, remembering names. Oh, that's so good because, um, it's really awkward. You think if somebody comes up to you, you're thinking, Oh shoot, I know them. I don't remember their name. And so then you dance yeah. around it and try and look for a name tag and, or, 
whatever. But um, I have just learned to get in the habit of any time, even if I know the person, kind, I've met them before. Not somebody I know really well, but I've met him. I'll go up and reintroduce myself. I'll say, hey, hey, Tim, mm. Mike Bechtel. And uh, I'll say we met at last year at the conference or or something. Just just mention your name and they may go, I know who you are. OK, well, fine. They're not offended, but you just made it easier yeah. for them. And they know you did made that easier for them. And at the same time, if uh, I've, I've got one friend that I had uh, the first time I met him, we went to the, with him and his wife, went to their house for lunch one day and he's the pastor of a large church and he meets people all the time he said i always tell people i said okay i'll remember your name through this conversation if i ever meet you again or next time we talk tell me your name again i will not remember it i just am not good at names and that was refreshing to hear it's like he just put it out there to be able to to make that happen or in the situation where you're seeing him for a second time and you're supposed to do it. I'll just say, okay, give me your name again, just to make sure I'm sorry. And they don't care. They're grateful that you yeah. ask. And that's why in the first conversation, when I meet someone, I think I even wrote about it where when you meet somebody and they say, my name is, my name is Sarah. And I say, is that with or without an H? Because mm. that's important to them. And I've had so many people that have said, thank you for asking. It's with an H. Well, my daughter is named Sarah and it's without the H. So I know it's important to her, but to take the time or if somebody has a foreign name and the pronunciation is really hard, I'll take the time to, I say, okay, help me. I want I want to get this right. How do you say that? And they'll say it. And then yeah. I'll repeat it back to them slowly. And it just becomes, it's, it's valuable for them. They so appreciate when somebody does it because it never happens. And then before they're done, I'll say, okay, it was so good to meet you. And I'll pronounce their name one syllable at a time. Say, am I still right? Because it's a way of respecting them and showing them that you really value who they are. People, that's their name. That's who they are. Yeah. I just love everything you're talking about. The thread underneath it is this idea of serving the other person. And you're right. I mean, if the analogy is the tennis game, they may not hit it back. You can keep serving. You can keep serving. And maybe there's a limit to um, you know, how long you want to get stuck doing that. But this idea of get over yourself, think of other people, what's their need, what's their name, what's their interest, how can I be more curious about them? Um, you talk about it like there's like a childlike, uh, a childlikeness around committing to that kind of curiosity. Um, what is something, I don't know if you are around kids very much, Mike, um, but what is something that you've learned from kids about how to be a better communicator? Well, I think one of them is that when they're little kids, they're honest and they will say whatever they're mm -hmm. thinking. They get a little bit older. They learn that they can't say everything. When my granddaughter was, well, one of my granddaughters was probably three, I weighed about 20 pounds more than I do now. And she came up to me one day and she poked me in the belly and she goes, baby, I said, well, no, oh, no. but, but I, and that's why you don't want to go up to somebody you just met at a conference and say, hi, hi, my name is so-and-so. How much do you weigh? Because it's, we've <laughs> learned what's appropriate and, and what's not. But I, I think the honesty of kids to be able to do that, kids are mm. usually a little, if they've learned how to be grateful, they'll tell you, they'll say thank you because they know it's important, not just because they were told by their parents to say it, but they, they tend to be more grateful a lot of times. And I think mm -hmm. I'm thinking of your friend that uh, never asked you any questions. And I thought, well, you're in good company because Jesus healed the 10 lepers. Only one came back and thanked him for it. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, to, but did that mean he shouldn't have shared something of value with the other ones? Um, no, it's, it's something we do. We share with people because and it can't be manipulative. It means I just have to have, have to have a mindset of caring. And that's what I learned from kids, too, is that kids, yeah. um, they do things for they want to be liked, but they also care about the people in their lives. That's like you walk, walk in the door and your kids come running up and throw their arms around your legs. Okay. They, they care. They It's valuable to them. And yeah. so I think it goes back to to genuine caring genuine humanity, having real relationships, pulling away from comparison, pulling away from positioning, uh, trying to put up a counterfeit self so that people see us in a certain way. I mean, yes, we need to to 
present ourselves professionally and polished or whatever that looks like in the situation that's appropriate, but to be real and to be honest Mm -hmm. and just the difference that can make, because it's so refreshing for people. And I think if there was one thing I would tell people to do to make their communication stronger, their conversational skills, just learn to listen. It's so rare for people to be really listened to because when they are listened to, they feel cared about. When they feel cared about, you've built trust. When you build trust, they may ask, actually ask you a few questions over time. So, Well, Mike, you're, you're kind of saying it, but uh, maybe to ask it from a different angle, as a last question, you've spent a lot of your life now writing, thinking, teaching, training on this issue, communication, how to be a better communicator. Um, simply, why does it matter to you? What is at stake uh, that you want to help people do this? And what, what matters to you about that? I think one thing that has changed, not just because of social media, but in general, is people are, are less kind than they used to be. And kindness is not the norm in our society. You watch the news, it's never about kindness, or rarely. It's the exception when it is. And so to be mm. to learn how to have real relationships where people are just simply kind to each other. And it sounds kind of touchy-feely, but we've gotten away from intentional kindness. And I think when you look at, uh, in Romans, it says that God drew us to himself, not by his theology, not by his omniscience, not by everything else. It says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Mm. And so it's, it's the thing that actually, it's the social lubricant. It's the thing that draws people together. So if I can have um, real conversations where I care about you, and the conversation is just a way of exercising that. But if I genuinely care about the people that I meet and not try and impress them, but just make my first stab at them is caring, and kindness, you know, how, what can I do today to make that person's life just a little bit better? And it can be something as simple as I was in an elevator with um, a housekeeper that at a, at a hotel, and she almost got out of the elevator because I, I was getting. I said, "No, it's fine." And so we. It took us two floors before she got off, and I was noticing she was carrying something heavy. And I just, well, I guess you don't have to go to the gym today, right? And she says, well, I have a one-year-old at home, so I'm picking him up all day, too. And uh, we, we had a little bit of a language barrier, but enough that we understood. And she walked out with the biggest smile on her face. And I realized hmm. it, all it takes is a little a little bit of kindness in the smallest circumstance, and you can impact somebody's whole life with your casual words. We don't know what's happening, but if that becomes the pattern of how we communicate and the kind of conversations we have, it's going to make our lives a lot better. And uh, we're impacting, we're actually having an impact on other people. I love it, Mike. Serving others, thinking of kindness as a way of operating and how we communicate, um, being curious like a kid and listening more. Um There's many other things you've just said. We've packed a lot of little insights and gold nuggets into this. I hope people uh, will take a few notes and takeaways, really practical things. So thanks, Mike, so much for joining us. If people want more of you, more of your writing and your work and your books, where do you want to send them on the internet? Probably the simplest place is my website because it's got everything. It's kind of the hub. It's just my name, Mike Bechtel, B-E-C-H-T-L-E. Sometimes they spell it E-L uh, dot com. And that's, and I know you, you put things in your show notes and whatever, but that's, that's the easiest place. Yes. All right. MikeBechtel.com. We'll put it in the show notes for sure. And, uh, thanks so much, Mike, for being with us today and sharing really, uh, years of wisdom, experience, insight, and your passion about why this matters. Thanks so much. That's such a privilege. Thank you so much just to be part of what you're doing. So. 
Thank you so much, Dr. Mike Bechtel. Great conversation. Next up on the podcast, we have next week, Amanda Jenkins, and she is a writer and content creator for The Chosen TV series. Have you watched The Chosen? Have you heard of The Chosen? I thought it was going to be lame and I was totally drawn in and impacted by it myself. So you're going to love the conversation if you like The Chosen or anybody in your life likes The Chosen. That'll be happening next week. Thanks so much to our sponsors, Compassion Canada and Description Untangled, the new podcast by the Canadian Bible Society. They're doing amazing work in the world to resource you, impact you, and create transformation. So please do click on their links below when you support our sponsors, you support this show. Hey, see you on the YouTube channel. See you in our Facebook group, Digital Church. See you on the internets. We would love to hear from you. Talk to you soon.